Hey, what's up, listeners? My name's Tyler, and you're listening to Horror's Home Podcast. Today, I'm going to be discussing my 10 personal favorite horror films of 2021. A couple of these were released before 2021 at either Sundance or in other countries, but I'm going by their U.S. major release date. I'm going to be keeping this spoiler-free, so no worries if you haven't seen some of these yet. I'm going to take a quick musical break and then dive into my list of my top 10 horror films of 2021. Number 10 is Willy's Wonderland, directed by Kevin Lewis, starring Nicolas Cage. When his car breaks down, a quiet loner agrees to clean an abandoned family fun center in exchange for repairs. He soon finds himself waging war against possessed animatronic mascots while trapped inside Willy's Wonderland. I chose this film because it's just an over-the-top premise that's really fun. The animatronics are creepy with their huge eyes and cartoon-like bodies. Cage played a silent badass the whole movie, who's ridiculously violent when he has to fight the animatronics. He doesn't say a word the entire film, but it all just works. Of course, this makes me think of the Five Nights at Freddy's video games, and there are a few similar movies with this concept that I've tried to watch in the past, but the human characters always tended to be the weak point. So making the main character mute and straight to the point the whole movie, it was a gamble that paid off in my opinion. The supporting cast is fine, nothing to brag home about given the story, but overall just a fun horror movie watch. Number 9, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, directed by Michael Chavez, starring Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. Paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren take on one of the most sensational cases of their careers after a cop stumbles upon a dazed and bloodied young man walking down the road. Accused of murder, the suspect claims demonic possession as his defense, forcing the Warrens into a supernatural inquiry unlike anything they've ever seen before. I'm a fan of the Conjuring universe, and I appreciate the parts Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga continue to play. Michael Chavez directed this film instead of James Wan, who directed the previous two Conjuring movies, so that could explain the mystery story route rather than the haunted house plot we're used to. Chavez also directed The Curse of La Llorona. In this movie, I found the mystery interesting of the case and how they would work to prove the young man's innocence. The difference between this film and The Conjuring 2 was that I felt very disconnected from the supposed victims. He was locked away, and we saw much more of the Warrens instead, rather than the first two Conjuring movies where we saw a lot of the families in their homes fighting the possession. Which it's odd to think about how the Warrens are supposedly the main characters, but really we don't see as much of them in the previous Conjuring movies as much as we do in this movie, which I like that change. It wasn't for everyone, but this decision was refreshing to myself, and I could still see how it might have hurt the movie for others. If anything, this could be a learning experience for the studio, but honestly, I think this will be one of those movies that are received better after time. Number 8, The Night House, directed by David Bruckner, starring Rebecca Hall. Reeling from the unexpected death of her husband, Beth is left alone in the lakeside home he built for her. She tries as best as she can to keep together, but then the dreams come. Disturbing visions of a presence in the house called her, beckoning with a ghostly allure. But the harsh light of day washes away any proof of a haunting. 
Against the advice of her friends, she begins digging into his belongings, yearning for answers. I was pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed this film. By the end of it, it felt reminiscent of 2020's The Invisible Man, which is a good thing. Rebecca Hall did an extraordinary job. Her betrayal of a grieving widow, who isn't just a victim, but wants to act and investigate while emotional, hit the mark the movie needed her to. The movie was eerie, suspenseful, and tense, with its pacing as well as keeping myself guessing what the truth was behind the events of her husband's death. Number 7. Paranormal Activity, Next of Kin, directed by William Eubank. Margot, a young woman who was abandoned by her mother as a baby, travels to a secluded Amish community with a documentary film crew seeking answers about her mother and extended family. I love the Paranormal Activity movies, which found footage isn't for everyone, but through time the trend has died down and even found its own niche. I was skeptical of a new Paranormal Activity movie after all this time, and when I saw the trailer with the film setting being a religious commune, I was even more hesitant. I gave it a chance, and the film did not disappoint, with almost every shot being from a handheld, rather than a security cam or webcam or just stationary cameras, the movie's story just kept rolling. It wasn't about things being tossed across the room anymore. This film created an evil presence and just ran with it. I liked the characters. I did eventually like the setting. There was a lot of suspense, the music, the editing. There was a lot to like about this movie, and I was very surprised. There was even some imagery in this movie like I wanted a screenshot just to have on hand, just to show people. If you're not a fan of the past Paranormal Activity movies, this one's still worth a watch because it doesn't even dive too much into the lore of the previous ones, but is still connected. So I definitely recommend giving this one a try. Number six, Fear Street 1978, directed by Leigh Janek, starring Sadie Sink, which I probably pronounced the director's name wrong, so I apologize. The film centers on a group of teenagers and Camp Nightwing who must come together to survive a possessed counselor's murder spree. All of the Fear Street trilogy on Netflix were wonderful. This was my favorite of the three, probably because it's nostalgic for the 70s and 80s camp slasher lovers. You should watch part one first to understand the introduction of the film, but aside from that, this could almost be a standalone film. Being adapted from an R.L. Stein book series, this film sure was gruesome and has all the sex, drugs, and teen debauchery and axe-wielding kills you could hope for. It feeds on tropes in the best way possible, and even though these films came out in July, they feel like perfect Halloween time watching. Plus, it's always nice to see a familiar face, which in this case was Sadie Sink from Stranger Things. If I had to rank the Fear Street trilogy from most to my least favorite, I would say 1978, then 1994, and then 1666. It's a commitment to watch them all, but definitely worth it. Number 5, Halloween Kills, directed by David Gordon Green, starring Jamie Lee Curtis and James Jude Courtney. The nightmare isn't over as unstoppable killer Michael Myers escapes from Laurie's trap to continue his ritual bloodbath. Injured, Laurie is taken to the hospital, and a now-grown Tommy inspires the residents of Haddonfield to rise up against Myers. A vigilante mob takes the matter into their own hands and try to hunt down Michael in an attempt to end his reign of terror once and for all. I did an episode discussing and reviewing Halloween Kills back in October. For a quick recap, there was quite a bit of longtime fan service regarding returning characters and the cast. The story was a little all over the place, but upon a second viewing, I could accept it more for what it was. John Carpenter returned to compose an excellent film score that I still listen to today. The highlight of the film was definitely the kills living up to the film's title. Aside from the lack of character development in this movie, for some of the core characters, I didn't have too many complaints. Now we just have to wait till next October for Halloween Ends to come out. Number four is Last Night in Soho, directed by Edgar Wright, starring Thomas and McKenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy. An aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s 
where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. However, the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something far darker. Edgar Wright is a fabulous director and writer. Shaun of the Dead is one of my favorite movies of all time, and he just has his own directorial style that doesn't disappoint. The music and amazing view of Soho's illuminated evenings grab my attention from the get-go. Thomason plays the main character wonderfully and is accompanied on screen by Anya Taylor-Joy from The Witch or Split and Matt Smith from Doctor Who. This was another film riddled with mystery that I didn't want to end. I won't spoil anything, but I did call the twist at the end in the very beginning. For a visually stunning and stylistic horror movie that doesn't just focus on jump scares or violence, definitely check out Last Night in Soho. Now on to my top three, with number three being Malignant, directed by James Wan, starring Annabelle Wallace. Paralyzed by fear from shocking visions, a woman's torment worsens as she discovers her waking dreams are terrifying realities. When I first saw the trailer for Malignant and even started the movie, I had no idea what this movie was going to be about. James Wan has made a huge name for himself, directing Saw, Dead Silence, Insidious, The Conjuring, and even Aquaman. He's also written and produced countless films that I love. The film turned out to be what I call a supernatural slasher, and I think some of his previous works kind of shined in on this movie. Specific moments made me think of Saw or Insidious, or the action sequences made me think of some of his other films he's done. The general audience's reception of this film seems to be quite polarizing. It is without a doubt over the top, but horror nonetheless. Even Giallo horror influenced, and I loved every minute of it. As soon as I started the movie and we had that introduction sequence and then the uh, title sequence with the music laid over it, which just had a reoccurring song throughout, I just loved. And just there were all this mystery to it, um, the new characters, and you're just, it's, to me, it was very mind blowing. I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Again, it's kind of polarizing with audiences, but I just found it to be fun and ridiculous over the top. Like, it was horror. I liked it a lot. Like, it's in my top three. I definitely recommend checking it out. Like, if you're a fan of James Wan, I think you're going to like this movie. My choices for my first and second on this list were very close, but for number two, I chose Spiral, directed by Darren Lynn Bozeman, starring Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. Working in the shadow of his father, Detective Zeke Banks and his rookie partner take charge of investigation into grisly murders that are eerily reminiscent of the city's gruesome past. Unwittingly entrapped in a deepening mystery, Zeke finds himself at the center of the killer's morbid game. The Saw franchise is what got me into horror. The plot twists and grimly looking setting on top of the unforgiving traps are what lured me in. The films did deplete in quality as they went on, as do most franchises. But in 2017, we got Jigsaw, which to me was a breath of fresh air. A proper budget and production value, thought out writing and fresh directing. Originally meant to come out in May 2020, this year we finally got Spiral. This film was originally a pitch by Chris Rock to Lionsgate, who greenlit the project. Former directors, writers, and producers all worked on this film, or at least gave it their blessing. Darren Lynn Bozeman directed the film himself, who also directed Saul's 2, 3, and 4, which are all top quality in my book, and the second film alone set the standard of what Saul became. This film's story did a good job of standing out on its own, taking place in the Saw universe, but not necessarily needing to have seen the previous films. It does help for longtime fans, so you'll know a couple of references to past events, but as long as you know what Jigsaw was, that he was a man who abducted victims and placed them in traps to teach them a lesson if they wanted to survive, then that's all you need to know going into Spiral. Finally, my number one horror film of 2021 is Candyman, directed by Nia DaCosta, starring Yahya Abdul-Mateen II and Tayona Paris, which I probably mispronounced their names as well, so I'm sorry. 
For decades, the housing projects of Chicago's Cabrini Green were terrorized by a ghost story about a supernatural hook-handed killer. In present day, an artist begins to explore the macabre history of Candyman, not knowing it would unravel his sanity and unleash a terrifying wave of violence that puts him on a collision course with destiny. The time for nostalgia is now. Only so many horror icons withstand the test of time, but for good reason. Michael has been back, Leatherface and Ghostface return early next year, and Chucky has his own TV series. Candyman has had two straight-to-DVD sequels, but this film finally gives a more appropriate continuation to the world following the events of the original film. This film pays tribute and acknowledges the original with the voice recordings and puppet show stories to explain the events of the past, but now in a modern setting. There are so many social commentaries and underlying themes, as well as some that are just staring you straight in the face. As you should expect by now with anything Jordan Peele works on, if you're a fan of Us or Get Out, I have no doubt you'll enjoy this film. Candyman is more violent, but for good reason. Even the original still holds up today. This is another film with a musical score I have on repeat, setting the genuine tone that it's intended to. The story itself goes a different route than the original, but not without making plenty of parallels. It's not what I expected from the trailer, which was just a typical slasher. It achieves being that, but also so much more. It's much more of a creative take on continuing the story of the original and applying the Candyman lore through a new lens. I only hope that the story continues and we get a follow-up to these characters and the world that DaCosta and Peele created. That's my list of top 10 horror films of 2021. I do want to mention the horror movie I disliked the most that came out this year, just for fun, and that was The Wrong Turn Remake. I won't spoil anything, but that film should have been called something else and only chose to write off the coattails of the original. On another note, a few honorable mentions would be Come True, directed by Anthony Scott Burns, There's Someone Inside Your House, directed by David Bryce on Netflix, and VHS 94 on Shudder. I want to mention again, if you haven't seen The Night House, check it out for Rebecca Hall's performance. Other podcasts or videos I've listened to praise her for her portrayal in that role, and for good reason. A non-2021 release that I watched this year I recommend is called Yummy. It's on Shudder, and it's a ridiculous zombie comedy that I really liked, and I'm happy that I discovered. Next year, we get the fifth Scream film, Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix, Halloween Ends, and Evil Dead Rise. So that's already shaping up to sound like a good year for horror. There are several movies on this list that haven't gotten discussed on this podcast. So if anyone's interested in doing some episodes, hit me up, especially for Candyman and Malignant and Spiral and just any of the Saw movies. You can follow me on Instagram at at Home or like the Horrors Home Facebook page. Send me a message on there. Thank you to everyone who is listening. This podcast has turned out to be a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to continue making more episodes and hearing what you all have to say. Until next time, Happy New Year. My name's Tyler, and thanks for listening.